Hello there. Welcome back to the Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hamilton, guiding you through the chapters of my eponymous book. With each episode, I'm hoping to share the story behind the story and share a bit of perspective that I feel is not often openly discussed in the medical and STEM fields. And that's about women and minorities in the traditionally male-dominated fields. This episode is based on chapter seven of my book, which is all about confronting doubt. What do you do when you're not sure if you believe if you belong in your field of choice? In this chapter, I share some stats with you on the various medical specialties and the proportion of gender representation in each one. It's really interesting. And beyond gender representation, of course, the disproportionate lack of minorities in medicine, and in particular in some of the male-dominated fields, is really skewed. So my field, for example, is just 2% black, and uh, there are some institutions in which minority students are even less likely to be introduced to a field like mine, a surgically-oriented subspecialty like interventional radiology, so or IR as some people call it. Um, And this perpetuates the disparity we see, the fact that these students don't even have a chance to know what we do or that this field of medicine is even open to them. So our excerpt of the book today begins on page 99 of Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own. As you can see from the data above, if you feel like the odd woman out in your specialty, you probably are. In some male-dominated fields, a boys' club atmosphere can feel exclusionary, as the guys chat about sports or the drinks you weren't invited to last night. Some women may be put off or deterred by the, quote, locker room vibe, which is inherent to certain fields. When I arrived in IR each morning as a resident, it felt like entering an actual men's locker room. There were men's shoes, men's jackets, men's bags, and men's lead aprons everywhere. I would quickly put aside that thought, place my things among them, and get to work. And while the atmosphere wasn't overtly unwelcoming, it did feel a little unfamiliar, I have to say. That's why as an attending who encourages other women to join our ranks, I'm concerned that when a female student or trainee enters this kind of space, the foreignness can be enough to plant a seed of doubt about whether she belongs or is welcome there. As a resident rotating through my future field, the fellows were generally nice to me and treated me as part of the team. In the morning report, in morning report, we were pimped together. I put pimped in quotes just because not everyone's familiar with that term, Um, but medical slang. Answering questions on vascular anatomy and procedural techniques. It was intimidating to learn this way, but it definitely kept me on my toes. Knowing I'd be put on the spot kept me motivated to study. I couldn't wait to grow up and be like the fellows that I looked up to so much. But every day, doubt lurked in the back of my mind. Did I belong in this subspecialty or was I just passing through? One of the people that I interviewed for this book, Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley, reflected on her own experience in entering the Boys Club of Orthopedic Surgery. She says, every once in a while, I'd look around and think, huh, I'm the only female here. And to me, it was almost an afterthought. It wasn't until much later, as I rotated through some internships, sub-internships, that I witnessed true unconscious bias on the part of one of the residents. He was extremely nice, but he just never really taught me much, she said. 
Then he would turn to a new med student and start teaching him all these fracture classifications. I realized that it had only to do with the fact that I was female. I think he just didn't know how to teach or talk to a woman. To this day, I don't think he meant anything by it, and he probably would have been surprised if I brought it up to him. As Nancy points out, unconscious bias can be sneaky, often escaping unrecognized by its perpetrator and its victims. But regardless of the intention behind them, incidents like these can become frustrating and discouraging for those who are affected. Importantly, Dr. Yen Shipley didn't blame herself for her residents' shortcomings. For those who are open to improving upon their biases, moments like these can serve as learning opportunities. Identifying and correcting this kind of behavior is especially important in those responsible for teaching you, like that resident. And they're responsible for teaching you as the next generation of physicians. Refocus your attention. If you find the demographics of your chosen field is tripping you up, making you second guess your interest, consider shifting your attention. Instead of focusing on how you're different from the people around you, focus on the work itself and on the patient population that you are there to serve. This is easier said than done sometimes, and it's completely understandable to feel like the odd woman out in a male-dominated field. But by refocusing your attention, you can get a more accurate view of how you might fit in within your chosen specialty. For example, if you truly don't like the sight of blood, you are not likely to still be reading this book. And in that case, the procedural fields might not be for you. But on the other hand, if you dream of doing stealthy image-guided procedures or elegant laparoscopic surgeries, that matters far more than the fact that your field is currently lacking in diversity. Dr. Lola Oladini shared her experience with self-doubt as she and some of the strategies that she's used to overcome it. She says, At multiple junctures in my life, I've either struggled with imposter syndrome, self, self-doubt, or someone else telling me I wouldn't succeed. In college and med school, I felt like I was faking it. But I decided that ultimately, it doesn't matter how I get there, how long it takes me, or how hard it is for me relative to the next gal, as long as I get there too. I try my best to redirect my focus from whether or not I belong to what I can do while I'm there. This greater sense of purpose transcends any self-doubt that I may feel. Microcultures and local environments. It's important to note that even within a given specialty, no two environments are exactly alike. The procedure suites and operating rooms that you ultimately work in may not resemble or feel like that of your training institutions. Countless variables will con contribute to your environment once you're out in practice. These factors may be regional, institutional, or interpersonal. Ultimately, the particular setting and practice you choose to work in will be up to you. To give you an example, I spent four years in New England during my diagnostic radiology residency. There, I got great training, but I endured seemingly endless side conversations about professional sports, which made my eyes glaze over. Often, I was the only woman in the room, and when I wasn't, the other woman present could usually hold her own in these conversations much better than I could. So, aside from being smart and hardworking, talking sports was the easiest way to connect with your attendings and be seen as part of the team. It 
started to feel like enthusiasm for New England sports was practically a requirement to be selected chief resident. I didn't really feel like I belonged there. (laughs) So on the other hand, when I relocated to Los Angeles for fellowship, there weren't nearly as much, there wasn't nearly as much emphasis on sports. I had entered a new culture where even the way we handled consults felt completely different. Now that I practice in the Southern California desert east of Los Angeles, the conversations tend to center around coworkers' kids, electric vehicles, local cultural events, and things like that. So experiences in different places have shown me a wide array of microcultures, even within the fields of diagnostic and interventional radiology. And to be honest, some have felt more inclusive than others. So that is our excerpt for this episode. At the end of each chapter, as you know, there's a spill your guts section, which is journaling prompts. So you can reflect on the things that you've read and how you feel about them. So in the spill your guts section of chapter seven, the first question asks you to ponder, how do you respond to competition? Do you shrink from it or thrive on it? Here's my answer. Personally, I grew up competing and arguably with myself. I ran cross country, which is a team sport with a strong individual component. I swam, I ran track, and I got good grades. I took as many AP classes as I could, and basically I competed throughout my formative years, so I felt pretty comfortable with the concept, but somehow the pressure cooker atmosphere of training changed this for me. I wouldn't say that I thrived on competition in training. It's really hard to feel like you're thriving in a room full of superstars. So keep that in mind. My memories of those years in training are still punctuated by the sting of competition and the feeling that I was somehow losing. Looking back, I I know that I was winning the whole time. I was getting great training, but it was just really hard on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes I felt like I was barely good enough to continue in that program. Now, I'm really grateful for my training and how it challenged me so deeply. The medical path is just that potent, and I'm sure it's similar in other STEM fields where it's just a competitive environment that's really male-dominated at times. In medicine, competition is encouraged, and it's part of the culture, I'm guessing, because it has a purpose. Um, Sometimes, Competition or being the best means that your patients get to survive or that your patients do better than the next gals. So it's hard because, um, you know, you can't throw competition out the window. It definitely has a purpose as well. And we all want to do our best. Um, In fellowship, it was five gentlemen and me. I was the lone lady. And um, in that situation, sometimes I felt pride. I was proud to be there. Sometimes I felt I did well. Sometimes I felt like the token female or like the one who was misunderstood or the one that just wasn't as well liked. And, you know, that can be fine on a day-to-day basis, but it's hard to deal with for a year. Did I belong there? Well, I knew that I did. I had worked really hard to get that fellowship position um, and for so many reasons, I just knew I belonged there on some level. 
but I also had the sense that not everyone else agreed that I belonged there. So that'll happen in a male-dominated field. It may happen to you. Sometimes people will voice this opinion uh, that you're, they don't think you're doing well or that <laughs> you should settle for something else or do some other field where there are more women. Um, and other times, if they're not voicing their opinion, sometimes actions can speak louder than words, just in the form of support you get or what you're invited to. So years later, time has helped to solidify my own feeling, my sense of belonging in this male-dominated field that I am in. And it's solidified that sense for both myself and those around me. The second spill your guts question is whether the diversity of a specialty affects your approach to picking your career. And the reason I ask this is my worry is that the lack of diversity, gender and otherwise can perpetuate itself when people shy away from fields because of the current composition of the field. So it's understandable, it's human nature that people want to feel comfortable with and hang out with people who are more like themselves. I get it. It sounds like a great idea in some ways. And that's as long as you're not settling on a career because of the demographics. This is really troubling to me. And I like to talk about the benefits of standing out in a given field. So it can actually give you a competitive advantage. If you're not sure what I mean, or if you've never heard about this concept before, head to the blog at tiredsuperheroine.com. That's tired, super, heroin with an E at the end, dot com. And look up the blog post entitled Standing Out in a Good Way. It's called Standing Out in a Good Way. You can find it at tiredsuperheroine.com forward slash blog. On the right hand side, you can search for that specific um, that specific blog or feel free to just peruse there. But I hope that this episode gave you some tools for confronting any doubt that you encounter. It's kind of inevitable. When you're doing something hard, you may doubt your path. And um, I hope it gave you some tools for those moments in which you wonder, do I belong here? Here's to ongoing inclusion in medicine, improvement over time in the diversity and inclusion of our specialties. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your own. And if you'd like to hear from me more regularly, be sure to sign up for my email list at tiredsuperheroine.com forward slash contact. And that's where you can send me a note or you can click right below that where it says get on the list to receive semi-weekly content. These are updates from the blog, the podcast, and some exciting upcoming collaborations that I'm going to be sharing. And these are all to help you thrive in the medical and STEM fields. Again, that's tiredsuperheroine.com forward slash contact to get on the list.